Am I on? I think I'm on. Yeah. Hey, I actually am very excited this morning for just uh, selfish reasons. Um, we have a guest here, uh, a lady who we have worked with as a church. Uh, we've supported and loved, and her husband, before he passed, was uh, one of my mentors and just wonderful gentleman, uh, Roland. And just she goes on and she pursues God's calling in her life. She was speaking at our women's retreat here yesterday. Uh, in the back, I'm sure she'll say it, but there's a table. You got to take a look at that. It's really cool. But if we could give a warm, loving welcome to Patricia, Patricia Nagel. Thank you. Come forward. I would like to have her just share what she's about for those of you who are new and those who know her, just share her heart and what she's up to. Thank you so much. Well, it was my privilege to work with 60 women the last couple of days as we looked at what it, what would it would look like to be transformed by the power of the living Christ. And so now I feel like I know so many of you and, and it's a good thing. We came to know Pastor Kelly through some former members of the church that we pastored. And then Pastor Kelly went with us to Malawi a couple of years. And each time he would say to me, as he would go on to Uganda, he'd say, someday, Patricia, someday, the women there, or the men there, are going to realize that the women deserve some training. So this last year, he called me and he said, you're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe it. They have come to a place where they feel that their women deserve some time and some training. And so we are going to have the privilege of traveling with a group, I think it's in August, and working with women there. And that is my privilege. I, you know, God uses us in so many different ways, ways that we don't expect. Um, I was a church musician for many years. I, I led worship in, and music in, in uh, the church. But then God called us to a different direction, away from being the pastor and the, and the music director of the church. And now for, for years, since 2007, um, full-time, I have traveled the world leading and training women. And I have found that these women um, have been oppressed. They feel like they don't have any value at all. Because of their culture, they have been put down. Many of them are beaten. They feel like they can't do anything, like they're worth nothing. And then we come in and tell them about the value that they have in the living Christ, how valuable they are to God, their creator. And then we take them through a series of training and keep going back to them and help them. And these women do amazing things beyond what we could ever imagine. There are some stories in this little uh, newsletter that I have on the back table. I would love for you to take one because I think your heart would be blessed. These are little Cambodian women with very, very little uh, in education who have taken what we have given them, go into unreached villages. That means people who have never heard the name of Jesus and they tell them about Jesus and they bring them to know him and then we have taught them how to disciple people so they go back and they work with them to bring them to maturity so that they can in turn disciple others. And then also in India, um, I just returned from India three weeks ago and found some amazing stories there where God did mighty work. One group I worked with way up in the mountains had um, never seen a Western woman, 
many of them. They had seen a Western man several years ago from Europe, but never seen a Western woman. And so it was like, oh, this woman is coming to Tika. Who, who is she? And so once they got over that, they were able to just really hone in on what God had to say in his word about them. I have also already heard many stories of what they are doing. They have started Bible studies. They have started teaching. They have started teaching on the value of life. They have started teaching on who God is and how he can help them and how he can lift them up from the bondage that they are in. And so that is my privilege as I travel the world. On, on the table back there, there's just a number of things. Um, you see, people, when, when someone goes into a village, they won't necessarily just listen to a person talk about a God that they've never heard about. But if they have something with them that attracts their attention, and you'll see some storyboards back there, you'll see some other things, and, and oh, what, what is that? And so they explain what that is, and then they talk about Christ and how they can come to know life and know life eternal. So it's absolutely my privilege, and I am looking forward to going to Uganda uh, we've always talked about this, haven't we, Pastor Kelly? We, we had some wonderful times when my husband was alive. Um, that, um, Pastor Kelly and, and Roland worked together with the Malawians, and, and now it's my privilege to go with you to Uganda. And thank you so much for your warm welcome of me. I love being here. God bless you. It's great to be here. Hi. Patricia, I think you'll be ahead. Thank you. Love you. Thank you. Well, there's a saint. Thought we'd introduce you to another one. Um, this morning, we are continuing a series called 10 Plus One. And 10 Plus One is basically taking a look at the Ten Commandments of God and then adding the new commandment of loving others. A new commandment to love God. And we spoke already to the first command of having no other gods. But we spoke to it and described to you the two different loves of the Old Testament and the New Testament of which the Bible oftentimes gets fragmented by a lot of these separations and breaks, and it's all for our benefit. But the problem is the Bible is a giant love story, never meant to be separated. It's a, it's a history of the world, of God's love for humanity. And he expressed that love that fits so well with the law in the Old Testament with Hesed, uh, this, this faithfulness, this faithful love that served and was obedient to the law. And then in the New Testament, Jesus introduced us to an agape love, an unconditional love driven by a grace and a desire to love others. And so each commandment kind of rolls out the heart of what God is trying to do in our lives. And the commands obviously focus on a lot of the do's and don'ts. And then the new command really focuses on the grace that we live under, the, the new period we live under. You see, the law was fulfilled in Jesus and as we go through each one of these commands, there's sort of a New Testament response to it. So it's really sad when Christians go to a church and all they learn is sort of the Old Testament. They only learn the law, the do's and don'ts, and they don't learn the fulfillment of the law. And, and the fulfillment is really where our, our lives live every day and breathe. And how do we live out that? It doesn't negate the law, certainly not. It fulfills it. And what does that look like? And so today, we're going to take a look at the second command, a wonderful command in which God basically says you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything. 
And on the back of your notes, you can read the rest of it because it's actually a section. Many of these are short commands, but this one actually has quite a section to it. He says, don't make for yourself an image in any form of anything in heaven above or the earth beneath or in the waters below. You'll not bow down to them or worship them. I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. What you find in this command is, first of all, God being sort of jealous for his own. He created all of mankind. He said, you are mine. Sin tore that away. Sin creates a hate within us for God, but a hate for others as well. As Masaki introduced us to the second sin in the Bible. But the reality is, it's, it's a very interesting process in the Bible. The story itself is very, very interesting. Basically, it goes something like this. God created us in his image, straight out of Genesis. In the image of God, we were created, both men and women. And that's the tragedy Patricia brought out, by the way, globally, is that women do not understand their value in the image of Christ, image of God. We fell away and we worshiped the creation, not the creator. We fell away. We chose to walk away. Jesus then came to save us and show us how to be like him. And in that, he left us his spirit to dwell in us because our bodies are his temple and they are created to worship him. They're created. Our bodies are created to worship him. We are the objects of God's love. We were built for that. Listen, if I brought a toaster up here, and I asked you, what's the purpose of this? Can I put CDs in it? Right? Can, can I shove things into it? What goes into the toaster typically is toast. It, it has its purpose, its design. So when God says you shouldn't have any other images created, when he spoke to this particular audience... He was dealing with the deities. They, they, they crafted all sorts of uh, sculptures and deities on poles and ashras. I mean, they basically took anything that was material like a rock or wood and they'd carve it into some sort of deity that they could worship. And the problem with that is there is no inanimate material ever created by God in which we are to design it to worship. It wasn't meant that way. God, it makes God angry. It's like sitting down and worshiping a toaster. It just is not right. And yet people do that all the time, as you'll find out. You see, we put our trust, our faith in objects. In fact, a toaster is pretty simple. I think I'd make it a little more personal. This object is something most of us in this room have. Most of it us in this room know how to work it. It's very simple. And we'll spend quite a lot of money. I believe these are upwards of $600 now. This object was created by men to serve us. That is to say that it helps us. It serves us. I, I love it in a lot of ways. If somebody doesn't have a Bible, all I have to do is say, hey, download it. If I go to an event and I said, hey, could you pull out your Bibles? More people have Bibles now on them all the time than ever before. Why? Because it's easy. You download it. 
Now, the issue then becomes, if we make this image an idol or not, which means, whom do we serve? Does this serve God's purpose, or does this become the thing I am in servant to? Who controls who? Can you separate yourself from this for a day and still live without the shakes? <laughs> do you see where I'm going with this? It's a very complex thing, much like God. It, it, can, it has multifunctional tasks. But the issue is who serves whom? The reality is, who controls you? Whether you realize it or not, back then they had idols to serve and worship. They'd give their deities food and all this other stuff. And nowadays we simply pay a higher price and stick it with us everywhere we go and we won't separate ourselves from it. One of the best ways to discipline a youth anymore nowadays is just take their what from them. We still make idols. They're more complex, they're more costly, but they're still idols. Because if we use this to serve others and love others and love God, that's great. But the reality is, I cannot tell you how many people have told me, I'm struggling with this. I can't separate myself. I've, I've constantly got to be doing something on this. If I'm constantly doing something on this, then what about the person right next to me who's my neighbor who I should love? Listen, when you have families that get together and they text each other in the same house... Let's be honest. The truth is that these images, since creation, since the fall, we've sought to build things to worship because we don't want to worship the creator. We want to worship the creation. Something we can see and hold. You see, the New Testament changed this idea a little bit. It fulfilled it. Jesus would go later to say, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and I remain in His love. I've told you this so that my joy, I'd like to say this is a great use of the word happiness, that my happiness may be in you and that your happiness will be complete. My command is this, love each other as I've loved you. He established a new focus, a new form of focus, that in those commands there's a greater command to love God, to love others. Yes, love, period. We are students and teachers of love. And, and I love being a Christian because it allows me to see things, material things, and say, how can I use this to benefit others? It shows me the true value of life itself. In fact, if you could, I'd like you to write down a statement at the top of your paper real quick. I'd like you to write, complete happiness serves God by loving others. Complete happiness serves God by loving others. If you want to have a completely joyous life, a completely happy life, then the way you do that is through serving God and then loving others, sharing that life with others. Do we understand that? I don't know. You first have to start by understanding that loving God has to go beyond the stained glass in a building and realize the most beautiful facility God created for worship is you. The church is not a building program. The church is people. The facility that was originally created by God to bear his image and be an object of his love out of which the worship should come is you. 
You were wonderfully made, beautifully made, ordained by God himself, both men and women. And you were given the ability within you to worship a living God. Why would I take an inanimate object that has a decent user interface but not a whole one, why would I take an inanimate object and desire to serve it rather than a living God who interfaces with my heart? The best thing this could do is get to my eyes and my hands and infect my heart, maybe. You see, you were designed for it. You're not a toaster. You're a complex, complex object of God's love created to bear out his image. That's why in the second command he says, don't make for yourself any of those images. In fact, he goes on and he says, listen, you shall not bow down to them or worship them. The second part in this that I love is he talks and he speaks to worship, which we really have a bad concept. This is a poor theology in most churches, by the way, a poor understanding of God. To think that only on Sunday morning do you come here to worship God. Did you think he was that simple? Did you realize Sunday is just a day, not every day? We worship God every day of our lives. The question is, if I went up to most Christians and said on Tuesday, how was your worship today? They would not have a clue how to answer the question. Because we lack the understanding of knowing worship originally had that concept of serving God sacrificially, and it still does. In fact, we were created to express our Father's love and character just like Jesus. You were created to be able to express God's character into your relationships and into life. It's awesome. You can show the love of God to someone through living it out like Christ, through allowing His Spirit to reveal that to others. You're able to express God like nothing else ever created. So why would you settle for sloppy seconds and create some image or allow yourself to serve some object that just becomes your master and not allow yourself to love a living and beautiful God who's the object of all love? God is love. We worship him. In fact, Jesus, when he was tempted, it's amazing, even he himself on earth, when he was tempted by sins, he said it very clearly, you should worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It's the answer to temptations. If you are tempted by this, then use this verse. When you engage temptations, just say, listen, I serve God. I worship God. I'm not going to serve this thing in my life. I'm not going to serve my pocketbook. I'm not going to serve material things in my life. I am not going to replace God with some other person in my life as a relationship goes as well. Do you, you know how many people in our world allow themselves to set other people up as their gods? They're relationally dependent on them. They're, they're relationally attached in such a way that if they left, their whole world falls apart. Listen, if, if that person in your life were gone and your whole world, you thought your whole world would just fall apart, then your world was not founded on all the right stuff. You should worship God. In fact, Jesus, when he was asked about that, he was asked about, well, should we worship here or here? We still have that argument, by the way. 
In Jesus' day, this idea of worshiping in Samaria or worshiping in Jerusalem was a big sort of debate, you know. You got the temple in Jerusalem, it looks really cool. And they, they actually had a really cool facility for uh, going to worship God as well in Samaria. But the truth is, the argument was, where do you go? And today it's the same way, it's just a matter of this, this is the way we say it. What church are you going to? Uh, that's the wrong question to begin with. I guess the bigger question would be, are you a part of the church? Are you representing the church? Because the reality is, where you, where you express that worship, well, you worship seven days a week. The issue is, what community will you express that in? But a lot of times, it's where you go, what building you go to. I mean, I remember sharing my faith with a gentleman in... in um, the business world, and he was actually a very influential man. I said, so if you were a Christian, where would you go to church? He goes, you know, I'd go somewhere where there's a lot of stained glass. He goes, I just love those, like, cathedrals. They're so cool. And to be truthful, that's about the way most Christians pick church. The cooler facility makes the better church. So Jesus, when the woman at the well approaches him and says, where are you going to go to church? Where are you going to worship God? Where's the right place? Because you know what the right place should be up here versus down there. And guess what Jesus says? Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. His worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. It's what's inside. It's inside what is in the hearts of people. The Spirit of God. You see why he's a jealous God. Why he would roll out sort of his wrath and his blessing at the same time in this command. He'd say, don't put my spirit, my objects of love, don't you dare try to worship and serve something other than the very creator who loves you so much. It is the very, it's the very nature of a child raised lovingly by a family to grow up and say, I refuse to be a part of this family anymore. It's the pain of a father from his children. Don't do that. Don't build things in your life to where you have to serve them. Only build a relationship with Jesus to serve God and love other people. You see your happiness? Your happiness is complete. It's complete. When you serve God and then love others. It's, it's the nature of who we are. And your worship is complete when you give that to God and not to other things. Because he goes on, he says, listen, if you, deserve, if you choose to worship an image, if you choose to serve an image, something else in your life besides me, listen, there's this little thing I'm going to tell you about. It's called the third, the fourth, and the thousands. What does it mean? Well, I think the first thing I want to say about this is it reflects God's love for us. I get this. this I get this totally because I'm a parent. I want to express this from a parent's perspective. And I want you to understand that our Father's desire is to show us love, and it's a thousand times stronger than his desire to punish us. When, when my kids mess up, and I see them sinning or doing something wrong, and I'm a parent, 
And, and I know that they have to be curbed. If, if discipline is, and correction is not brought in, they're going to they're gonna literally go the way of the devil. And I know as a parent, i got to curb that behavior, and so I'm going to have to put some discipline into their life. I'm going to have to punish them in some way so that they don't go off the deep end. When, as a parent, when I realize I have to do that, do you think I feel good about it? You know, whether it's slapping a hand, spanking a hiney, putting them into a room and isolating them. Do you feel like the warm fuzzies? Oh, this is going to be so cool. I am going to whack you so hard. I'm going to leave you in there for weeks. But you know, when they sin and when they do those things, man, you feel like that, don't you? Right? Come on, let's be honest. When your kid really messed up, you're like, oh, I want to stick you in a room for a week. You know, that kind of thing. But hopefully, and I believe so in most, your love for them is a thousand times stronger. Your love for them is a thousand times stronger. Your desire to see a right relationship with them is a thousand times more. Not, you don't want to live in the world of punishment. You want to bring them to a world of love that reaches from generation to generation to generation to generation. The love that will last for a thousand generations. If you love me, keep my commands. Parenting is the same way. Kids, if you love your parents, would you do what they tell you to do? And when you don't, and you get selfish, do you love them the way you should? And they punish us. And it hurts for a little bit. There are sins in this world that have destroyed three and four generations, literally, of a family. Alcoholic homes that have lasted for generations. Homes with abuses and things you don't even want to talk about even in the church that have infected and affected the families for generations. But as much as that is true, it is also true that those homes that have found redemption and forgiveness and love have changed the legacies of their homes for more and more generations than that. It's a beautiful thing that we live in when we obey those commands, but we obey the greater command to love, to love others. And so it teaches us really a neat way of sort of showing this. And he makes a little note here for parents. I don't know if you picked up on this, but he mentions this about parenting. He says, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Parents, there's a little bit of a warning here, isn't there? I want you to understand the nature of your power as a parent. It's very important for you to understand that it is a vital as a parent to teach the word of God and the love of Jesus to our children. You see, what we teach has a lasting impact either way in their life. What you teach your children will have a lasting impact either way in their life. If you teach them nothing of religion, nothing of faith, nothing of morality, nothing of Jesus, then that will impact them in a very strong way for a long time. If you teach them God's love, it too will last longer. Because God's love is greater than all those other things. And so let's talk about expressing this kind of a love. How do you show this expression of love? How do you show Jesus 
in this world. How do you take a command like have no other image, don't serve anything else but God, in a world whereby we don't really talk a lot about religion in general, God in general, how do you take it and truly express faithfulness, express serving God, express loving God? How do you do that in our culture? Well, it's the same way you do that when you pick your phone up and make it a priority. The first place you have to go with everything to see if you have an idol in your life is you have to go and see what is the outcome of your message. Paul was really good. He wrote this as an outcome of the, the message of when he preached at a church and when he spent time at a church. He said, you yourselves are our letter. You, you're the letter. Written on our hearts. You're known and you're read by everyone. When you go to Raley's, they see you, you interact with them, and you're the letter of Jesus. You show that you're a letter from Christ and the result of our ministry. It's written not with ink, but with the spirit of a living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of what? The human heart. The seed of all the desires in your life, the human heart. Where you always begin in looking for your servanthood is in the heart. Examine your heart this morning. Because I know some of you are struggling. I know some of you are doing great. I know some of you don't even know Jesus. So here's the truth. Examine your heart. The heart is not the head. It's not built to the reasoning. The heart is the seat of your desires. It's built to what is it you really want. What is it you want? And when God says, listen, the first command, he said, make me important. Don't have any other gods. Make me important. And in, in this command, he said, now seek me and serve me for your happiness. Don't put up any other images and idols that would replace me. Don't, don't do that because I created you to worship me. You're the living temple. You're the object that was built to worship God. Why would you place that somewhere else? Treat your body right. But examine your heart. It's from the heart all that stuff comes. It's from the heart when you open your mouth, things come. Examine your heart and you will find if there is anything that is taking the place of God, is taking the place of Jesus, our Father in heaven. No longer do we just serve him. He's our friend. I am a friend of Jesus and a friend of God. And then, after you examine your heart, Change your image. We do it all the time. Hollywood makes a whole profession out of it. Change your image. Have fun with that. What do you mean? I mean put on something that's righteous and cool and good. Stop spending all your money on yourself and maybe start spending some of your money on other people. Stop buying all the clothing for you and maybe buy some clothes for someone else. Stop thinking the world centers around you and maybe sit there and think the world centers around God. Change your image. Can you tell when somebody's had a change of heart? Anybody? Can you tell when somebody's had a change of heart? I, th I can. I can tell when somebody sincerely wants to do something different, desires to do something different. I can tell. I can also tell when they don't desire to change at all. And so I guess what we need to do first is examine the heart and then we need to sit there and say, I need to put on something that's good. 
in my life. I need to serve God and love Jesus in a good way. And in doing that, I need to express that love, the love that lasts for a thousand generations. You need to express a love that lasts for a thousand generations. Now, how do you do that? It's very simple. First of all, if you're married, you're commanded to love your spouse unconditionally. Especially men, you better get used to this. Then you serve and love God by loving and expressing that love to your spouse. Only you have the place in their life where you can tell them that you love them deeply no matter what happens in life. Only you can build that security and love into someone else that's called your wife or your husband. You've been given that place. Express it. If you're a parent, a mother, a father, only you have been given a unique place in your child's life to express a love for them, a love that builds the love of Jesus into their life. Only you can do that as a parent. No one else was given that except for you. Express it. Express it every time you share love. Stop disciplining them a thousand times and then loving them three or four times. Discipline them, yes, three or four times, but love them a thousand times. If you're in a relationship, a young adult, consider that relationship. How do you value that person in your life? Do you value them enough to respect their sexuality? Do you value them enough to show them your love in such a way that you become vulnerable, that you show Jesus' love for them? Are they more important than them knowing Jesus? Because I can't tell you how many times there's been this thing in our culture we call missionary dating. It's this idea, if I can lead them to Jesus, I can marry them. The problem is you don't lead them to Jesus, they lead you to them. And I'm not against some things. God works miracles, guys, don't get me wrong. But that's not the original intention why you go into a relationship. You go into a relationship looking for someone to spend that life with if you're in that situation. Looking for someone to, say, to, sh to share your soul with. And sometimes that does work. I've seen it. But I wouldn't advise it as your model. You see, there's a whole world, as was mentioned multiple times before I even taught. There's a world of people who are hurting who are lost and under the curse, under the fall, underneath the weight of their sin and their guilt. And you have the love that lasts for a thousand generations at your fingertips. And it won't be found in this building this morning. You know where it's going to be found? When it's written on your hearts and it's expressed when you go into the streets, into the marketplaces, into your workplaces. When you share that love with kids in your class, when you share that love with people in your workplace, when you share that love with people you, bu you bump into, when you love your neighbor as yourself, and you love yourself the way Jesus loves you. Happiness. Happiness can only be found when you find God is the happy God. He's the God of love and joy. And he expresses it for a thousand generations. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you, for, thank you for building us in your image. 
that you gave us the ability to do wondrous things in our lives. Thank you for giving us of your spirit to house and to express. Thank you for loving us unconditionally. Thank you for giving us the ability within our hands, our feet, and out of our mouths to love other people with a pure love that lasts forever. God, help us not to be tempted by serving other images and other things. But help us to give up those things to serve you first. To love you first sacrificially. To live under a fulfillment and not an obligation. Jesus, thank you for sharing that example with us. God, I know there's somebody in this room that just needs to know you. And I ask that they would just sense your love right now and they would desire to know you. And as such, that they would talk to someone afterwards, that they would pick up a card by the offering box, that they would come up to myself or someone in a blue shirt, that they would seek out that eternal life that is theirs. And I pray for others of us who are sort of just going through the steps that we would see that it's not going through the steps. It's every day we have a chance to do something that lasts for a thousand generations. We can bless other people. And for we who are seeking to do your will, I pray that there is a harvest that is plentiful and there are so few that truly know how to harvest. So I pray that you would use each person in this room who knows you that during this week, you would give them an opportunity to express a love for you and that we would not be trapped by other things. And may you be glorified, Jesus, and may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Join with us for one last song.